0: Welcome back, everyone, to a delectably evil episode of the Comics Collective. I am your host, the villain. Welcome. So glad to have you. Let me introduce you to my two evil sidekicks. Please introduce yourselves.
1: I'm Alexis. (laughs) I did not think of an evil name until just now.
0: (laughs) She will get there. Evil! I'm Dallas. <laughs> and oh wait, Lexi, your, your evil name has to be Lexi Luther
1: <gasps> True. There You, you go. are the Lex Luthor. I am. Like,
0: if
2: if ever there's been a superhero, number one hater Lex Luthor, that's a spirit <laughs> that is animal. That is People me. think that it's Doctor Doom, but Doctor Doom thinks that he is truly the greatest. Lex Luthor is, is number one hater because he's like, I can't I have to be second place to that prick! <laughs> Have you ever hated someone so much that your hair falls out? Because that's crazy.
0: Wild. Absolutely wild. Why are we talking about Lex Luthor, everyone? Well, it's because this week we read Forever Evil by Jeff Johns, David Finch, Sonia Obak, and Rob Lee. Um, Before we get into all of that, though, I wanted to take a quick moment and make a quick acknowledgement, as we like to do on the show whenever we are covering creators of books with controversial aspects. We here at the Comics Collective are aware of the allegations levied against Jeff Johns and his behavior towards actor Ray Fisher on the set of Justice League. Um, Here at the collective, it is our responsibility to read and analyze a piece of media and to place it within its proper context, and we feel we would not be amiss to not highlight this aspect for people who are unaware, and within our reading of the text, we do not in any way support or condone any alleged behaviors of abuse or harassment, nor do we wish to silence the voice of victims, and... We would encourage all of our listeners, as always, to do your research and continue to engage with art at your own moral discretion and with the proper context. Dallas, Lexi, do you have anything to add before I give a quick summary of Forever Evil? Nailed it. Nope, you said it great. Okay. Well, awesome. With all that out of the way... um, For those who might not be aware forever evil was if you're a sane person a seven issue dc comics event storyline that was published from september 2013 to may of 2014 and yes you're right those dates do not add up we'll get into it the justice league is assumed dead and in their place is a group of superpowered individuals known as the crime syndicate an evil doppelganger version of the league from a different earth within the multiverse and they've come to claim earth as their own and With the Justice League gone, the only hope for Earth's salvation lies in the hands of the most unexpected saviors, Lex Luthor, and a cadre of some of the most infamous villains of all time. The Flash's chilling foe, Captain Cold, the Menace of the Stars, Sinestro, the only version of Bizarro that I will ever love, Aquaman's biggest fanboy besides me, Black Manta, and did you feel that? Because the hierarchy of power just changed forever, it's Black Adam. Also, Batman and Catwoman are there for reasons. Hope you didn't want a Wonder Woman villain, you silly fools
2: yeah, what happens um, when
0: we let you talk
2: about d c comics, yeah, like look, right? at, look it's the energy rating, it's rating off of you.
0: this was this we'll, we'll get into it I talk about like um my my reaction to forever evil, but this was this was where I lived. This was the first event I ever got to experience in real time for d c comics. So I have a lot of interesting thoughts on it from both back then and also now, because this is not my first time reading it. Is it your first time reading this comic, Lexi? Yes. What did you think? I also
1: did loved that it was seven issues. This was wonderful. (laughs) Read it in an hour. I said, hmm, this is way for me. Um, I had a lot of fun. I also agree that this is the best Bizarro that I've ever experienced in my entire life. Mm -hmm. I would like to have him come live with me forever and ever because, um, yeah, especially as the resident Lex Luthor of the podcast. Yeah,
2: I was going to say Lex Luthor and this Bizarro are you and Carson. I wasn't (laughs) going to say it. You, I was not going to
1: say it, but I love it's him.
2: You and your fiancé walking around the house, you're like, yes, yes,
1: yes. <laughs> and I'm and like, let's like, eat spicy food. And he's like, and
2: he's <laughs> no. Like, mm. Mm. And you're like,
1: are you scared of the dark?
2: I'm scared <laughs> of
1: failure. Yeah, for real though. <laughs> I said, okay, Lex, please, please do not put that into light. That is my real fear right there.
2: <laughs> yeah. This, i sorry to interrupt you, back to you in the studio, talked about Forever Evil.
1: <laughs> no, it's okay. Honestly, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a very fun take on like a doomsday, like the end of the Justice League. I don't know why I think that's so fun. Maybe because I'm sick of them. But I was like, yes, fridge the entire Justice League team. Get rid of them. I don't want them. <laughs> I'll keep Batman though, because he's a little mysterious. Um, I loved how him and Catwoman got to hang out the entire time because that's my favorite duo. Love those two. Um, but no, I, I honestly, I thought it was fun. Um, I've never really read anything like this before. Um, I loved the concepts that they had with the opposite Justice League. Like I loved how, um, oh my gosh, what is his name? Not the, not the Superman, but I just forgot his real name. Um. I loved how like Ultra. the sun hurt him or like he loved kryptonite. Like he was addicted to it, which was insane. Um, and like Superwoman, she was cool. Ultraman. That's his name. Um, yeah. No, I just, I thought it was fun. And then the twist at the end with uh, reverse Shazam that made my brain mm-hmm. want to be dyslexic. I was like, I- I'm not, but this is hurting me. This is hurting me to read this. <laughs> I don't know what it is with backwards words. Same with like the Bizarro's normally. I'm like, (laughs) nothing they say is important to me because I don't want to fight that. (laughs) Not doing it. I don't do backwards words.
0: (sighs) You're so real for that.
1: (laughs) I don't. They don't have anything important to say to me.
2: (laughs) Do you have the same opinion about Zatanna? When Zatanna does her backwards spells, she slays.
1: Because I like her outfit. Are you and saying hmm. bisexual?
2: <laughs> you if Bizarro was in fishnets, you would take him more seriously?
0: Yeah, probably.
2: Just put him in a little That's sleigh outfit.
0: It. Yeah. Hey, Grant Morrison. some red, red
2: so bottoms.
1: I'll stay with him more on the page.
2: <laughs> yeah. Zabaro, actually, Zubaro. from All Star <laughs> Superman, had on red bottoms. There you go. Oh, I. Yeah. Dallas, what did you think about Forever Evil? Was this your first this... time? This was my second time through Forever Evil. Forever Evil came out a few months after I had started reading comic books. And so it was my first major event. And I blame this for setting my expectations way too high on events. I feel like, and you can probably speak to this too, because we started, I think you started one year before me. But we lived through the golden age of events. People talk a lot about like the Bendis years of events. And... While they have their place within that Avengers run, I think standing alone, a lot of them are pretty weak. Mm -hmm. But like Forever Evil, I love Original Sin. I know everyone else hates it. Uh, Secret Wars from Marvel. like We read the best events of all time. All time events came out when we were very first babies in the comics world. And Forever Evil, I think, is the best DC event outside of Final Crisis, which we've done an episode on. If you want Anne and I to talk about final crisis we did it okay go listen to it we didn't make alexis read it because we love her but forever evil captures so much of what makes comic books great for me i had a lot of time reminiscing this week about the kind of comic book reader i was when the new 52 first came out where i would see a premise and i would dive in not expecting anything and i came away with these hidden gems that i would just miss nowadays because i've become such a picky reader like i think a lot about james robinson's earth 2 comic from new 52 that i adored i had no idea who nicholas scott or james robinson was but they made a great comic as they're wont to do but i was there because i was like oh these are a different superman batman and wonder woman that looks so fun Or Keith Giffen's Justice League 3000. I also love that. Those are two books I would not pick up right now. Because frankly, I just follow creators, which I still think is a good rule of thumb for the kind of comic books I like to read. But I do sometimes worry that I am missing out on just some golden underrated gems because I'm not in the comic book store picking things up based off of covers and concepts anymore. And I think Forever Evil is the kind of book that, introduces you to characters that you then want to go follow elsewhere reading this book has made me very seriously consider going and finishing jeff john's green lantern run reading his flash run reading his jsa where black adam's a main character like everybody or i love his aquaman and his black manta here makes you want to go read his aquaman it's like a sampler plate for all of his other major runs that you're going to want to go read Like, if you like Sinestro being a giant bitch in this, oh boy, do I have three enormous omnibuses for you. If you love Captain Cold being a blue-collar dickhead, boy, do we have three giant omnibuses for you. Like, this feels like the sampler plate to the stars. And it was just, it was fun to read this again. And it was also fun reading the New 52 as almost an Elseworlds cuz like when this was happening this was it. But since then we have gone back to the original DC tone and so there's just this weird edge lord bubble that you can like poke your head in and observe like a scientist and that makes it a lot of fun. Like if this isn't your only option for who Superman is, it's a lot of fun to read this. I I loved it. I love Forever Evil. Mm -hmm. I think this is a fantastic comic. I own it in hardcover. I've owned it in hardcover since 2013. It always survives the Dallas purges and sells superhero comics because I love it. So it was fun to have that reaffirmed.
0: Hell yeah. I love that. This is a comic that is not the first time that I've read through it. It's not the second time that I've read through it. I've read this comic a lot. Because this was a really big moment for baby Anne. Because I hopped onto the DC train in 2013, um, two years after the, um, the New 52 had started. And right when I was um, starting into it, we were leading into this event called Trinity War, which was the three Justice Leagues fighting each other. And we thought like, oh, this is going to be a big event. But then they're like, nope, it's actually leading into something else. And we got that September on the second anniversary of the New 52 we launched into forever evil and reading it at the time. It's hard to explain, but I don't think that a single event that I've read since has held me in its grips the way that this one did, because the way that it's played off, if you were following it, it very much seemed like the justice league had been killed. Something had happened to them. You had no idea where they'd gone to. And it was such a long payoff to figure out how this arc was going to close. What was going to come of it? Because yeah, from September until um early into the next year like march april may we had no idea what was going to happen with the justice league um you had all these books that were still tying into it uh a lot of books had kind of moved on at that point um every book stopped in september and interrupted their regularly scheduled programming for a bunch of villain one shots, which were really fun. They came out with these holographic covers and I still have some of them because they thought they were really big back then. And I still like the Ocean Master and Black Manta ones because of course I do. And just like a bunch of randomly assembled ones that i gotten from friends and my brothers. And it was it was a crazy time. It, you, you thought like anything could go. I remember issue two where the Teen Titans go to fight Atomica and Johnny Quick. And I was legitimately certain that they would die. Atomica and Johnny Quick, both of them scared the shit out of me. Um, and they always did. So it was, it was a nail by experience because it really felt like anything can happen right now. It felt like a period of time in comics where it's like they know that deaths bring that shock factor. And they were willing to go for it. And I wasn't sure what was going to happen next. So it was... An ex- it was an experience waiting for this book month to month. And I didn't even realize, um, reading through this again, that the last issue had been delayed by two months. It was that, the, what has now become, you know, classic Jeff John style, but the, yeah. that final issue got delayed by a few months because I had to add a few more pages to it. But I know in that time, it was like, I, I must have like scrubbed that from my mind because I must have been dying. I must have been clawing at my skin, being like, where's that last issue? What is going on? because it was it, it it had it had its hold on me, Justice League was a big through line for me through the new fifty two and it was it I read it so many times over the years because I loved that so much, and I love that feeling but going back this time and getting to reread it, I feel like I see more of the cracks than I used to in the story, and <gasps> I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I read all the forever evil tie-ins as well, and it was something I chose to do because what I'm insane. Two, um, I wanted to put the story squarely in that context of the time because I feel like I'm so far removed from that time now that I forget what comics were like back then. And I wanted to get that like fresh perspective and understand what really was happening in the DC universe at the time. And it's it was kind of disappointing because it felt like Forever Evil was the only book there that really took the chance to be as special as it could have been and really was the only one that felt like it had something to say about its villains. When it's like, there's so much that could have happened with these tie-ins at the time. And I just felt like no one else was on that same creative beat that John's was. And no one else had that same drive to make it the way it could have been. But that just, to me that feels like an indicative moment for the new 52 as a whole, looking back at it from the perspective of a decade removed. Um, But, To get into all of that, I would like to give a little bit of background for any of the listeners who, you know, 10 years on might not be so sure what the new 52 was, what it means, and just a little bit of a background of how we got here, if that's okay with you two. Okay, so here we go. I'm gonna give a little spiel. So to understand the DC of 10 years ago, you need to understand that the DC of 10 years ago is a very, very different place than it is today. If you go out to a comic shop and buy any DC comic, it would be almost unrecognizable from the New 52, which in turn was almost unrecognizable from the DC of 10 years before that. And that is because DC as a company has a set in-house policy that started back in 1985 with Crisis on Infinite Earths where they decided that, as opposed to Marvel, where they have their one through line, everything has always happened and always will. Marvel ha- is the same Marvel that they were back when they were like timely comics in the in the 30s and the 40s. It's the same company now, same storyline, same everything. If you want to know the history, it goes back decades. But DC is like, we need a way to make it so that readers can hop on whenever they want. We need to simplify things. So with Crisis on Infinite Earths, they took their line wide um, idea of a multiversal structure where there are different books that happen on different earths and they consolidated everything into one earth, one earth, one history. And they said, every five to 10 years, we need to do something like this that makes it easy for people to hop on. We need to change things. And so they did, and they followed that cycle over and over again. We got zero hour, we got infinite crisis, we got final crisis. And that brings us to 2011 when we had Flashpoint. And Flashpoint was a crucial moment for DC because the comics industry was kind of struggling at the time, as it had been for a few decades, slowly, slowly going down. Crazy enough, not the fault of women or gay people. That's so wild. Completely just throwing that out there. But anyways, they were throwing out ideas. How do we bring people back in? How do we make things different? And at a meeting in New York, people talked about how can we use Flashpoint, a Jeff Johns event? to kind of make things different when we're done. How do we reset the DC universe? And some people pitched ideas like, well, what if we do Flashpoint and we come out of it and Superman and Lois are no longer married? They tried to, they just pitched out the the one more day, but with Superman and Lois. And that kind of led into a snowballing where DC editorial and the DC creative officers kind of said, what if we just reset everything? And they're like, that's so crazy. It might just work. And that leads us into the New 52, which started in September of 2011, when every single DC title, every single one, got reset to issue number one. A single issue where they said, if you want to start a character, right here. This is the one true continuity. Everything is reset. Everything is new. There's five years of history that we will explain to you as we go. But this is where you start. Nothing else matters. Well, except for Green Lantern and Batman and some Superman things mostly, mostly right here is here, except for Aquaman 2. There's a little, a little Aqua stuff going right here. Start at issue one and you'll be fine. And that was the new 52. The new 52 was a completely new continuity, detached from decades of storytelling that happened before. And it was meant to be that jumping on point. And for the most part, it worked. At the beginning, there was a huge boom in sales and you saw crazy things happening, like issues of Aquaman outselling Amazing Spider-Man. That happened two months in a row. It was incredible. Great time to be alive. Those tales would eventually dip a little bit and kind of change back everything five years later when we went into DC Rebirth. And they're like, hey, um, we're sorry. Please come back and read. We brought the history back. Please come back to us. Please love us again. But at the very beginning, that was it. DC was this universe now and this universe only. And Forever Evil was the first event in that new continuity. It had been built up since the first issues of every new 52 line where you saw a character called Pandora who is kind of in the background of every single issue one. It's kind of a fun scavenger hunt to go back and find her now. And at the end of the first Justice League arc, where we got the hints of the shadowy figure called the outsider. And all of that would lead into the Justice League event, Trinity War with Justice League, Justice League of America, the government um, designed Justice League built to counter the original Justice League and the Justice League dark who was there just for vibes kind of fought each other. Everyone was kind of a dick. Um, Superman killed a guy. It was, it was a crazy time. But we found out that it all happened because a Justice League inductee called Adam, who is actually Atomica, a villain from Earth-3, had infiltrated the Justice League, planted a sliver of Kryptonite in Superman's brain, caused all this madness to happen, and she discovered a sentient computer virus called GRID inside Cyborg. It split from Cyborg. The Justice League was left disassembled, disarrayed, and it made an easy way for the outsider... Earth 3 Alfred to open a portal, bring the Crime Syndicate through, and completely take out the Justice League. And that was how everything happened. That's where we are now. And this book led into a lot of really interesting things afterwards, too, like Lex Luthor and Captain Cole joining the Justice League for a while. And we can get into all that as we go. But it's what I want
2: straightforward it's storytelling. Simple. It's like, simple,
0: like... so easy. If Alexis you, could
2: regurgitate that right back. This exactly. Is, this is for new readers.
0: If you hadn't read it at the time, you're fucked. But listen, <laughs> we're going to go back to the small here, because that is where the story really succeeds. We're going to talk about the characters. And one of the things that Jeff Johns' creator really focuses on is building up character making that character the centerpiece of a hero or villain's lore. There are fundamental tenets tenements and ideologies that each character needs to adhere to and i think that really shows through with his treatment of the villains here let's talk about lex Luthor. so lexi Luthor, let's talk about it is this the first lex Luthor story that we've read on this podcast because i can't remember
1: no because i remember some young lex Luthor being sprinkled throughout maybe like mm-hmm. lights himself on fire don't know where that came from but
2: is that in birthright
1: i think so it's in a superman something
0: I don't remember. He's popped up. We've read a he's, lot of Superman.
1: He's been around. He's been around.
0: Definitely an all-star Superman. But what did you think about Lex's characterization in the story?
1: I liked it a lot. <laughs> I also loved the whole concept of, like, dad Lex Luthor with this little bizarro. Like, come on, <laughs> let's go. And when he lies to him about his fears so he'll he'll go in the dark, I was like, that's hilarious. And that's very Mm -hmm. much me. I'm looking into a mirror of my future parenting. Uh, Just kidding. That's terrible to say. But (laughs) um, I thought it was fun. I kind of like the self-serving, like, I don't play for either side, Lex Luthor. Like, that Mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense in my mind. Because he just tolerates the Justice League until they meddle, like Scooby-Doo um but he's like i can't have time to deal with new justice league okay he's like i'm i this is where i draw the line all right like mm-hmm. i will fight for them purely because i'm sick and tired of this and it, it just makes me giggle like i just imagine him like being a sassy like tired single mother <laughs> that's the vibe i got from this <laughs> so
0: I, I love that. There's a um, reading the tie ins that first September when this book started, all all series stopped and they had the villain one shots where all these villains would get a book just about them. Some of them were just like the origin books, where it's like there was a dark side book that's just like, here's how dark side started. And there's another one that's like, here's how cheetah started. But there was one for Lex Luthor that took place right before Forever Evil started where he gets out of jail because at the time DC was like really continuity heavy, where it's like everything has one continuity, every character has to be a place. And accounted for at all times, for the most part. It got very loosey-goosey. But Lex got out of prison. He got his face fixed because something happened to his face. And he spends the entire issue sending a, a shuttle up into space only for it to malfunction. And with the intent for Superman to come save it. And he's just watching the whole time. Where he's he's planned and orchestrated all this just to see either where Superman is or to show him as a failure. He doesn't care. And he just uses the lives of these pilots as that expendable tool and I think Lex Luthor is my favorite, one of my favorite villains in DC Comics because of that. He has such a misguided idea of what is right and what is wrong, and it all centers around him specifically, and that that petty desire to be the the biggest, um, to be that that hero that everyone wants him to be, I mean that he wants himself to be. He wants to be the person that people are praising, and so seeing him get this opportunity to kind of just stand out. Was it believable for everyone else that he would take this opportunity to be like, I am the guy. I will do this. I will save the earth. Yeah.
2: I mm-hmm. I personally love the the Lex Luthor that I know. And granted, I haven't read all the Lex Luthor things in the world, but I've read most of the big Superman things. Mm-hmm. And my perception of Lex has always been, I would be a superhero if you weren't here ruining things. And I think that, Lex genuinely believes that. And so I like in this story that he does do that. Like, I think it's a stupid reason to be a bad person because you can't be number one, but mm-hmm. I, I think it makes it more interesting that he's not just full of shit. Cause if he was just full of hot air, then he's just another guy. But if he is truly just petty and unwilling to be number two, when he gets his opportunity to be number one, he does it so well. I find that fascinating. I find that, that conflict is so much more interesting then because if Superman wasn't here, Lex really would be the guy that he says he is. But instead okay. he gets to be number one hater. I just I think it's the smartest choice to make with the character.
0: Gotta make consolidations. You gotta you gotta take what you can get.
2: Um If you ain't first, you're last. Ricky Bobby.
0: <laughs> Lexi, do you wanna talk a little bit more? Because you've talked a bit about their relationship. What were your thoughts on Bizarro that made him different than any Bizarro's that we've read before? What did you think about clone Bizarro?
1: I feel like I loved clone Bizarro because I mean, we're introduced as the concept of like that Lex Luthor is cloning Superman. Like that's the whole point. And really the main thing is that Bizarro was created because Lex Luthor took him out of the easy bake oven too soon. And as a girl who had an easy-bake oven, those <laughs> raw brownies were good, but they are not what you wanted. So that is Bizarro Superman. <laughs> and
2: <laughs> Easy-bake oven? Lex is like... Do, 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 do,
1: do. That's why I am. Lester I am clook. Lex Luthor. We had, yeah, let Lex Luthor use his easy-bake oven in his basement, okay? Leave him alone. You are
2: you are Lexi Luthor. This is so funny. <laughs>
1: Maybe I'll be Lex Luther for Halloween and get a bald cap. That'd be hilarious. Um, I
2: would pay so much money for you to be Lex Luther and Carson to be Superman, <laughs> and Judy could be Crypto. Judy
1: could be oh Crypto. My oh my gosh! Okay, no, I'm doing it. That's hilarious. Especially how write much down. hair write I have. This down. Oh, hilarious! Write, write that down. Write that down. Down. <laughs> down. No, no, okay, but taking Superman out of the easy bake oven too soon. I I love how Superman's good core still translated because even though he was created by Lex Luthor, like he's still nice, which is hilarious to me. Like when Lex Luthor is given his like evil genius spiel and Pizarro's trying to hand him the flower that he found, I was like, this is the best thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And then Lex Luthor's like, ah, fine, takes the flower, puts it in his, like keeps it. (laughs) I'm like, this is great. Like this is just like the funny lighthearted shit that I love because mm-hmm. you can have this evil super genius villain that's just being bested by their little happy sidekick like this also reminds me of um we were talking about the Anastasia movie last week with Rasputin and his <laughs> okay. little bat like this is the same vibe like i love the evil super genius and the silly uh assistant like this is pinky. just wonderful
2: pinky in the brain so,
1: pinky in the brain exactly that's me and Dallas <laughs> I'm Pinky. Alice is Pinky. <laughs> Correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just great. It was fun. I liked Bizarro in this, and I've never really mm-hmm. liked Bizarro before.
2: <laughs> I kept trying to be a Bizarro purist and being won over mm-hmm. by this Bizarro. Like, I kept mm-hmm. trying to be like, that's not Bizarro. Not my Bizarro. And then I had to keep being like, you don't even like Bizarro. <laughs> like, you are always upset when that's Bizarro is That's exactly how I feel. Like
1: He's so stupid, normally.
2: You don't like Bizarro. And I was like, well, but Bizarro's an all-star Superman. That means he's an <laughs> essential part of the Superman mythos. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why are you... Oh, literally, uh, you have to like Bizarro. <laughs> um, and then this was good Bizarro. When he put on the shirt inside out, and that's how they got oh. the backwards S. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but that hit so hard for me. Because mm-hmm. I was like, I saw that it was a regular S shirt, and I was like, how are they going to do the backwards S? Hmm how are you going to get out of this one, Jeff? And then he puts on the shirt inside out and I was like, hmm, bested, um, okay.
1: Hmm. Got me.
2: <laughs>
0: Foiled that easily. <clears throat> there's there's a strange um, idea to use Bizarro, this normally so alien and abnormal creature as the like very human focus of this group of characters, this group of very monstrous at times characters and I thought it was I think it's probably what makes this book still special to me is that relationship that Lex and Bizarro share I like the idea of Lex's all of his ambitions being embodied by this monstrous creature that is trying to do good it feels like as close as Jeff Johns can muster to a really potent metaphor Um, and I say that you know (laughs) someone who's been a fan of Jeff Johns work since I started reading comics, I think that when I think Jeff Johns comics, I think so often about blockbuster, larger-than-life superhero action comics. And they work. They're really great for bringing in new readers and for for getting you invested in a character. But I think that that decision to make Bizarro that shadow of Lex and to make it almost feel like he is that desire Lex has personified is probably one of the smartest bits of writing that Jeff Johns has ever used in his career. I thought that their farewell at the end is a genuine moment of heart and sorrow that you don't expect to get from a story about people that we've been rooting for the superheroes to beat up for decades. It's, it's wild to have a moment where you feel sorry for Lex Luthor and that moment where he says, but he was my monster that it's, the most incredible way for Lex Luthor to, to express that emotion. I think, I thought that was brilliant. I think Bizarro is the heart of the story.
2: When he starts cooking Bizarro too, and yeah. they're like, it'll be 10 years. And he went five years. It will be five. I don't want Superman. I want Bizarro. <laughs> mm-hmm. And also David Finch. I have a mixed emotions about your artwork in this book, but your Bizarro mm-hmm. hits every time. Yeah. That, like the modeled skin on that bizarro making him look like making him look like frankenstein's monster it's great i loved the bizarro design in this Mm -hmm. i loved every villain on the team Mm -hmm. like i remember being more enamored with the crime syndicate the first time i read this Mm -hmm. and this time i read it and i was like yeah they're cool they're interesting i like them but like Captain Cold, and when Sinestro shows up, I was like, gosh, I love you. You little sleigh cape man. That rules so hard. When he looks at Batman, he's like, you could be a great Yellow Lantern if you'd let yourself. I was like, slay. Slay Sinestro. When Black Manta joins the hater squad because they killed Aquaman instead of him, love. Every, Every villain's personality was so potent. And delightful next to each other. Like, if the purpose of a team book is to put a bunch of unique personalities next to each other, and then let them bounce off of each other, this is one of the best team books I've ever read. It's everything I want out of a Justice League comic, and there was no Justice League in it. It was great.
0: I'm, I'm pretty positive about this one. Lexi, is this your first time reading Sinestro and Captain Cold? Yeah.
1: I think, well, maybe not Sinestro. Though. I think he might have shown up in a few, like just for like a, a second and a few things.
2: Did you get some Injustice flashbacks to me yes. playing Sinestro?
1: Dallas, okay. <laughs> little bit of uh, Taylor family lore. We all really liked to play Injustice and Dallas had a tendency to let us play with him, but he'd never teach us how to play. And so he would just destroy us every single time with Sinestro. And so then one time, I don't remember where he went. I think it was scout camp for like a whole week. I stayed home and I played um, Injustice every single day with Catwoman and got really, really good and beat him once and never played again. It was great.
2: She had her <laughs> Goku training arc. Yeah, I, I came home and all of a I sudden did. there was a Super Saiyan Catwoman I was playing against. I was like, what is happening? I was like, and then eight. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that killed injustice for me was our brother, who was like five at the time, figuring out how to crouch and shoot as Deathstroke, yep. and that was yep. just impossible. <laughs> I could not, I could not AJ. defeat crouch shoot Deathstroke. No matter what I did, <laughs> my ankles were being demolished, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I was like, "Injustice isn't fun anymore." And AJ was like, "I have defeated the dragon.
1: <laughs> yeah, I he got broke, it. He broke Dallas." <sighs>
0: It's good. If you can't get past the owners, it just means you're not good. You just got you got to learn how to get past it. Uh, yeah, I, I, wasn't get past it. I wasn't good. Mm-hmm. I wasn't good. <laughs> I was twelve. I was twelve years old. I wasn't good. Playing Deathstroke online was so fun because you just played the character the way OG. he's designed, and everyone makes everyone was so pissed. Everyone gets so pissed at you so fast. It's like an instant rage button. It was so fun. Sorry, you're a villain. I like that
2: every time we bring up Injustice, my fight or flight starts to kick off because I know Anne's going to be like, oh, I'm a nationally ranked Injustice yeah, player. You're I know. Like, I always like. I true. know
1: how to do three moves.
2: Yeah, Anne like grabs me One by the tos and she's like, come on, toots, I'll teach you how to play Injustice. <laughs> I still I'm like the girl Aqu- being taught pool at the bar. <laughs>
1: Hell.
0: I still have Aquaman like um 40% combos down by muscle memory. I'm positive. You're wild for that. Let's do it. That's
1: wild. I know how to do... I'm not even lying. I think I know how to do like three things. And one of them is jump.
0: (laughs) I will teach you how to play the game. I would
2: do that. I would love that. Do you know what um, Forever Evil also gave us? Tom King's career. Because he got to write Nightwing (laughs) after this. He got to write (laughs) Super Spy Nightwing Mm -hmm. after this crazy book. And... That book is the most people on Twitter hate it, and people outside of Twitter love it. Book I've ever encountered, mm-hmm. and so
0: thank you for every will. Forgive me, Tom King. I love his work.
1: Mm. We should read that. That sounds good.
0: <sighs> it was fun. it was a wild experience going through um, all the tie ins and looking at all the the writers, looking for writers and artists that I recognized and recognizing so few. Where it's like the biggest names I saw were like Tim Seeley. Um, Sterling Gates and James Tinian. I did. Yeah, I read a baby James Tinian book. He did a Court of Owls one shot, which went nowhere.
2: Oh, his (laughs) comics were bad for the first five years. He's one of the best comic book writers working right now. Yeah, I'm comfortable saying Mm -hmm. like all of his work through the new 52, like baby girl, Mm -hmm. baby girl took a long time to grow.
0: Reading, reading the tie ins, it really hits you. The fact that women hadn't been invented yet because there was only one of these books that had um of a woman writing and it was gail simone on ventriloquist um but you know it kind of it kind of makes sense at the time lexi have you ever heard the story about dan didio asking the audience to name a woman no there was a comic-con back when the new 52 was you know popping off and um, someone in the audience asked him about their inclusivity and their diversity. It's like, they pointed out that they only had two women working for them at the time. They only had two women in that 52 title lineup. There was okay. Nicholas Scott on Art on Earth 2, and there's Gail Simone writing Batgirl. That was it. That was all they had. And so Dan DiDio, instead of reacting like a person, he kind of snapped at this person and it was like, you tell me who I should be hiring and I'll hire him. You you name me a woman and I'll hire them. And oh, good Lord. so for years he became known as the um that name a woman guy. <laughs> like Dan DiDio can't name women, so it's fine. Wow. What a legacy. It was the new fifty two definitely had ups and downs and that was a pretty big down, especially in retrospect. You're like, wow, this is insane. Also huge adherence to her house style artwork where everyone was trying their best to be like the next Jim Lee. And so many of them were failing at it. It was a wild, wild time. Do we want to use that before we jump into any of the other characters? I want to talk a little bit about everyone's reactions to the crime syndicate in this. Do we want to jump and talk about art for a second?
1: Sure.
2: Yeah. I want to know what Lexi thinks. What does Lexi think of David Finch's art?
1: I actually quite liked it. I feel like when I mm-hmm. think of DC art, this is what comes to mind. Like the, the, Hyper, more realistic, but also still very comic booky. if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. I I don't know. I really liked um, the design specifically for, like, Ultraman and, like, Superwoman and all of those like, – of, like, the crime syndicate. I liked their designs of how they were very Justice League adjacent, but they had their own look, if that makes sense. Also, I loved the design of Lex Luthor's suit, like – it just was it just was very fun. Like I thought that they all seemed very true to character in the way that they looked. Um and also like specifically when I think of Catwoman, like this is the image of her, like her outfit and her look, that is what I think of when I think of Catwoman in the comics. So I liked it.
2: I think it had a lot of really dynamic framing as well. Like mm-hmm. while I might not love the really heavy inks and dark shadows, of David Finch's art, there's no denying that every single splash, every single double page splash of this had the most interesting positioning of these characters. Like there's a page where the crime syndicates all just sitting around a table talking to each other. And it is visually fascinating because you have Johnny quick, like leaning back on the table with his feet kicked up and owl man leaning over spreading out a, a map. You have Dr. What is his name? Dr. Death. Doctor, death, death storm and power ring like the body language on them is so interesting there's clearly like i feel like it's important as someone who wants to talk about comics to recognize the difference between your personal taste in a comic book and the quality of comic art so while i am not the biggest david finch comic book art fan i can recognize that he is operating at a professional level mm-hmm. that is high quality. You know, like, I can't look at this and say, this is bad art. Like, this... I think he does a great job. I think this is really stunning. I think it fits the tone of the book really well. It's supposed to be a dark, gritty, post-apocalyptic book, and that's exactly what's going on. So while I might like cleaner, brighter aesthetic to my art, at the end of the day, that's all it is. It's an aesthetic choice. I think the actual mm-hmm. quality of this artwork is incredibly high.
0: I would like to to bounce off that for a second, because... In addition to all the tie-ins, I also took a look at the director's cut of issue one, and that includes a look at the script. So in the first page of the script, Jeff Johns, pitching this to um, David, um, asked for a very specific style. He says, David, this is an event story that involves all the greatest supervillains of the DC Comics universe. It is going to be epic, dark, and mysterious, and my goal is nothing less than the greatest DC Comics supervillain story of all time. There should be heavy, dark shadows throughout the entire issue. Darkness is our thematic is art thematic, both in story and art. But even with the scope and many, many characters that will have roles in Forever Evil, the heart of it all is a story about Lex Luthor, a story that will examine, challenge, and ultimately change him. So although, again, it will feature everyone, the majority of the story beats will be designed to push Luthor to physical and emotional limits we've never seen him in before.
2: I mean, mission accomplished.
0: Yeah, a thousand percent. I think, honestly, I think the weakest part of the art is that there's, it feels rushed in some places not for the penciling but for like the coloring there's a lot of very bizarre coloring mistakes and choices in here um, I remember there's one page of Ultraman's face that always kind of takes me out a little bit. I think the funniest, it's such a it's such a non-important moment, but the first time we see Nightwing, he has gloves in one panel and then the next panel he doesn't. And it's just, reading it so many times, as many times as I have, is those things that kind of stick out to me where it's like, okay, it feels like this wasn't as put together as it could have been in some places. But for the most part, it really accomplishes its goal. And it's a book that makes you feel kind of Kind of icky when you read it. It kind of gets under your skin a bit, which is exactly the intent. There's a, a menace to these characters that really, really sells the direness of the story. Like every time Ultraman's on page, he does what I think an evil Superman should do. And he's just thoroughly imposing and monstrous. And you're like, this uh, is s- a guy. Hmm? And snorting kryptonite, which and is also kryptonite. something. kryptonite.
2: That evil Superman should do.
0: Yep, remember, kids, drugs are bad. Um, yeah, it's there's so like you said, Dallas. There's so much subtle character work that happens through the art. We don't get the the in depth look at the Crime Syndicate in the story, and I think the the true genius of the Earth three villains is that they're not supposed to be deep. They're villains who exist because their whole purpose is to be the opposite of the villains of Earth Zero, Earth Prime, whatever you want to call it. Um, and that's it. that That is the depth of their character. They are meant to be dark reflections, and that's about it. You read their... Um, if you go through the Justice League tie-ins, it's all their origin stories, and that's all they are. They are just those reflections. There's not depth here. It's not a character who's struggling for something. It's not a character who wants something. They're evil for the sake of being evil. And... I think the artwork really portrays what each of them wants. Talking about Man, just kind of like spreading out, imposing himself upon the table, the the cowardish way that Power Ring is always standing, except for those moments where he explodes and he lets that power out. And he just feels like a, a rabid animal in a trap at all times. Um, Ultraman just being this looming presence, Superwoman being this wild seductress, the exact opposite of what Wonder Woman is supposed to be, but kind of what they were writing her as. As at the time, it's crazy. It's wild. Um, there's so much work that David Finch does into making these characters feel as menacing as they should be.
2: Absolutely. I think, speaking of subtle character work, Ultraman never feels as powerful as Superman. You know, no. like there's a lot of menace, there's a lot of, but he always feels fundamentally weaker than Superman. Mm-hmm. And that is absolutely just conveyed through the artwork. Like, you just look at him and you don't feel the same. Like, I don't know if it's that his shoulders feel more rounded forward or what, but there's just subtle bits that you're like, that is not Superman. Like, when Superman's on the page, like, Superman's gonna win. But when Ultraman was on the page, you're like, you're gonna get yours, dude. Like, just wait. Just wait. It's coming for you, pal. And I thought that was really fun. I agreed the colors were a little... Eh. like, eh. <laughs> Everything was really gray, or it feels like um, feels like a mid two thousands movie. We're like, man, we just like put a dirty filter over this. Mm-hmm. That's stinky. But you can't blame somebody for making art in the style that art was made at that time.
0: Yeah, it's like just, it's it an aesthetic. It was it was a house style at the time. That was what every. DC comic was like the the crazy thing about the tie-ins is sometimes I would get lost in like what book I'm reading because I'm like, everything looks exactly the fucking same. And it always comes down to the coloring. Everything had the same palette. Everything had the same tone. And it was, it, it does wonders to make everything feel like it's part of the same universe. But if it's a kind of dismal style, it's just everything blends together after a while and things don't stand out, which is one of the weaknesses I think the new 52 had in hindsight. It's just, it made things simple for readers jumping in because everything... If you, It's like, if you like the feeling of one book, you'll like the feeling of most of the books. But looking back, it's like, there's nothing here that's standing out to memory. We're not having, like, Rod Reyes colors popping like they were in Aquaman. And even things like Yannick um, Piquet in Swamp Thing just felt, like, not as exceptional as it could have been. It's wild. It was a wild, wild time. How many times am I going to say that, this podcast? New 52, wild time, officially, TM. Um, I want to talk about Superwoman. You want to talk about Superwoman?
2: I could not decide if I liked her arc or if I thought her arc was sexist the whole time. Because her whole shtick was that, like, I will use this baby inside of me to pit all three powerful men against each other. And I was like, slay, Mm -hmm. girl boss. Mm -hmm. But then also, like, her role was so much just, like, the evil object of desire if that makes Mm -hmm. sense i was like is this a cautionary tale about like not being into hot ladies or is she the like i it was so muddy and i could not tell and i want to hear from all of you what you think of the most enrapturing evil woman of the year so far
1: i support women's wrongs um and i feel like she's the epitome of women's wrong so that i should support because i thought she was hilarious i also kind of agree i have the same opinion like i while i was reading it i was like this is hilarious this is wonderful but at the same time i was like "Mm, as a woman i probably shouldn't think that this is hilarious and wonderful but (laughs) i kind of do so also her outfit's slayed. so what can i say
2: i like her priscilla (laughs) presley hair in that first Mm -hmm. big splash of the whole syndicate there I was like
1: slay (laughs) Slay, look at that look
2: look at all that volume that's where she hides her evil
1: that's why her hair is so big it's full of secrets
2: she did she totally was teasing it before that she's back there she's like we can't debut my hair it's too flat she's
1: like Clark come here let me do it to you
2: yeah Ultraman's like comes up with green dust under his nose and she's like you're (laughs)
1: dead (laughs) beat So, really though, whose kid was it though? Do we actually know? It,
0: yeah, it was it was, um, it was, it was Luther's, Alexander Luther's baby.
1: Mm-hmm. She could be that lying. baby. I, no die. joke. Black seeks.
0: Ex- we're never gonna read it. That baby becomes Dark Side. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, that's baby Dark Side. I never read the Dark Side War. Yeah, that's what the baby gets used for. The baby gets Dark Side dies at the beginning of Dark Side War, and then the baby is reincarnated as the new Dark Side. So that's why that's Batman's carrying around the little baby dark side in um, Dark Knights or Death Metal. No, it was just metal, Dark Knights metal. That was the first one.
2: Goodness gracious. I always wondered what baby dark side was. That yep, that's, makes my that's head it. hurt. <laughs> that makes my head hurt. I never it, finished Jeff John's Justice League. I, I, mean, I liked it the whole time. And then I went and was a missionary. And mm-hmm. it was not one of the things I felt I needed to catch up on when I
0: got back. It it has its moments. It it suffers in hindsight from being the book that was trying to steer the ship of the new fix. Too. Like they were introducing the things. They were introducing the Doom Patrol. They were like, hey, we're gonna keep introducing various elements of the DCU. Like I love at the end of Forever Evil, we get our little shaggy haired Ted Cord. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, you remember this guy? We killed him off like 10 years ago. He's back now. And he looks like this. And we wouldn't see him again until 2016. So it suffers a little bit from trying to steer that narrative of the slowly crumbling New 52 along. But it still has some solid moments. And there's some great Francis Manipole art on Dark Side War. That's just, it's, it's lovely.
2: Yo, I will never forget that first. I always think it's a splash page, page, even though it's not, of Aquaman summoning the great white shark out to eat the parademon. Oh my god. That's one of the hardest panels in the history of comics. That single-handedly. I drew that Mm -hmm. probably nine times. I rendered out Aquaman's ass Jim Lee style 173 (laughs) times. Jim Lee practiced on Psylocke's ass for 10 years to draw that Arthur Curry right there. That's
0: what it was all leading towards. The thing that I've that I appreciate about John's work is that he will be the guy who's like, I will write the note of this character. I will sh- make this character an icon in this one moment. That is what I will do. I will write the moment that makes everyone see these characters the way I see them. And it's like a child with their eyes wide wide looking at the coolest thing they've ever seen for the first time in their life. Well, I, I think I'd love, he does that very well.
2: I'd love to hear from Alexis, like Jeff, Ann and I both are of the same opinion. Like Jeff Johns is the guy that makes you want to be interested in the DC universe. Like whatever he writes, all of a sudden you're like Aquaman's interesting. Whoa. Green Lantern's interesting. Whoa. Flash is interesting. No one has ever said that. I'm so sorry, but <laughs> Flash's rogues are interesting. Whoa. Lex Luthor and Forever Evil is interesting. Whoa. Like, was that your experience? Did you also feel the Jeff Johns polishes these characters down to their core bits and makes them shiny? Or what was your experience with the writing of this book?
1: No, I definitely agree. I was like, wow, every single one of these people in here is fun. Mm-hmm. I didn't even cared I even cared about this little freeze guy I didn't know existed until just now. He's Listen, exciting.
2: If there's one thing Jeff Johns is going to do, it's make you care about Captain Cold. That is <laughs> I know. his number I was one like,
1: guy. I used to play against him in Lego Batman, and he was a bitch. Mm-hmm. But I like him in this.
0: Lexi, at some point, we're going to read through the Johns run of The Flash for the sole purpose of showing how he writes the rogues. Because that, that is the selling piece of his Flash run to me, is his I villains. I think that is worthwhile to take a look at, and we will tackle it at some point. I'm down Dear so.
2: listeners, I was told I would like Flash if I read the Mark Wade run, and uh, that didn't happen. Ooh, I am coming yeah, to I'm you like... and asking, is it the Jeff Johns run that will make me run? I have never wanted to like a character more and worked harder for nothing than Flash. Because Mor- I'm fake. Grant Morrison said Flash was their favorite superhero, and so to be a cool hipster boy, I wanted to copy my favorite writer, and I can't do it. Every flash run I read, I'm like, he ran fast. That's nice. And then it's like, oh, he ran out of reality. That's nice. And then the problem with the Wade run was the villains suck. Even no matter how great Wally was being, because there are some great moments in there. I was always like, and yet we're fighting like pointy pants Magoo. Like I, what's going on here? Every time we travel through time to fight that wizard guy that pops up like seven Mm -hmm. times in that run. I was like, I'm going to kill him with a hammer. Like I am going to go in, I'm push Flash to the side and I'm gonna kill this wizard with a hammer. I'm gonna step on him like Lex Luthor did to Atomica. Like that's how I feel. That was wild. That was wild. When she she splatted like a bug, something in my brain was like, That's how it would be to smash a tarantula. I I don't know what it is. In my brain, the big bugs, like every time I'm at the zoo and you go to the big bug section, they're like, This is a rhinoceros beetle. I'm like that would be so juicy to squash.
1: Gosh.
2: Like, th- there's a lot Perfect. of blood in that, dude. I know. That's like that might be my only serial killer quality. That and the, like trapping small animals in the woods, but you don't know about that. Uh, I'm kidding. It's a joke.
1: <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> but smashing big bugs
1: not too quick.
2: <laughs> smashing atomica. I was like, you're so right, Jeff Johns. That is how it would be to smash a giant bug. I just know it. I just know it. If you had cause like a tarantula's coming at you, you squash that thing. What's going on? That's a lot of bug.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Thank you. Thank you for coming were, to my TED were Talk. We're talking
0: about Superwoman. <laughs> Wait, before we go on back to Superwoman, because I have thoughts. Um, did you read the Morrison run of Flash Dallas? It's on my bookshelf. I Okay. I was I was I will. curious. This I will like, if, if they're if they're your 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 person and maybe they're they'd be the one who make you like them I don't know
2: they're so listen they are my token favorite comic book writer I love them I love seeing the world through their brain but sometimes they write weird crap like I think people think what? because Grant Morrison is my favorite no. writer they get this big rainbow of like they've never done anything wrong that's not true yeah. I read Luda that book was insane You know what the only good Luda is? When Ludacris in a song goes, Luda! That's the only worthwhile Luda. That novel by Grant Morrison makes me actively mad. Um, And Invisibles, here it is. I'm sorry, folks. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about Invisibles yet. Like, it's, uh, I don't know. I still have a third of it left. We'll see. We'll see. But that's not for this conversation. We're supposed to be talking about Forever Evil. (laughs)
0: okay so back to forever evil um superwoman it's crazy because i think that the way that superwoman's written in any other context would be incredibly misogynistic one note and sexist because it's so full of tropes it's insane but i think because it's superwoman and the earth Three characters are supposed to be the most stereotypical tropey villains that you can possibly imagine I think it works that she is that stereotypical misogynist embodiment of a femme fatale to everything that she does. The opposite of Wonder Woman in every way, someone who uses her own personal femininity to control men and to um, be, you know, so <laughs> so anti-feminist. Like, you, you know you talk to this woman and she is like the most diehard Republican you've ever talked to in your entire okay. life.
2: She's a trad wife content maker. Oh yeah, yeah, a thousand percent she's a trad wife TikToker. Good
0: lord! <laughs> but I think because that's who she's supposed to be, it works. Whether or not that was intentional or just how men were writing women at the time, I cannot tell you. Because we look at like, okay, I'm going to go into like all the different tie-ins I read because I have to use that for some sort of content in the show. I'm going to go mad there, and lose my mind. There are a million questions about it in the listener questions. Okay, if you that's so do great. That then that's so great but one of the funniest things in the argus run was there's this moment where um cheetah puts a lasso truth around steve trevor and it's like how do you feel that Wonder woman dumped you and he's like i'm really sick and tired of people um debasing me to only being worthwhile if i'm attached to wonder woman I'm like that's so funny because right now wonder woman is being passed around with like four different guys in her life her her entire personality in the new 52 is dependent on her relationship to either clark steve aries or zeus she is bouncing around this square of men in her life and i'm like it's so funny that they recognized it with steve that his only character trait is being attached to her but with her they just like she's still bouncing around that square i thought that was so funny new 52 was a say it with me crazy time wild time but i i think it worked for superwoman the other the other crime syndicate members I, I talked about it before. I am terrified of Johnny Quick and Atomica. You didn't, there's a, a tie-in in the Justice League where Atomica and them fight a few Doom Patrol members, like D-list Doom Patrol members that got revivified for the New 52, New 52 for two pages and then killed again by these two. And there's a scene where Atomica is crawling up the inside of this one Doom Patrol die, guy and telling him exactly how she's going to kill him and then she does it. Like kicking him in his brain and it's like that is some wild shit i want a little woman to stomp
2: on my brain (laughs) i want a little little woman in her high heels tap dance on my brain no
0: you don't do it yeah i
2: do i'm all done i'm all done with these thoughts i want her to tap dance in her little high heels on my frontal lobe are you kidding me that'd be awesome i'd love to be in a vegetative state you can <laughs> you can cl- you can clip that.
1: I told mom that I wanted a lobotomy the other day, and she did not think that that was very funny. I was like, "Please lobotomize me. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of having a job."
0: Lexi, which crime syndicate member would you pick to lobotomize you?
1: <laughs> Probably Superwoman, and I will not elaborate. with her
2: barbed wire with her barbed wire lasso.
1: The lasso of submission. I said, hmm. <laughs> like, is is Who knows? <laughs> I said, mm. <laughs>
2: You might think Alexis is the Miss Piggy of her relationship. She's actually the Kermit the Frog. Hey. Listen. If we found out that Carson was really into chains and whips, I'd be shocked but delighted.
0: <laughs> no. Sipping your morning coffee? Oh, good for him. Good for him! <laughs> like, if he came it's out look. in some
2: seven-inch leather boots.
1: <laughs> just a little guy. He is.
2: He's your Bizarro. He is. Luthor. <laughs> <laughs> oh. This book was a delight. It, this was, by the it was way. a delight. If we haven't made it clear, I I finished this and I texted Ann and I said, dang it. I thank you for making me read and enjoy a Jeff Johns comic. <laughs> I then looked at my wife and I said, you know, I have coasted for about five years saying this guy's a hack, but nobody makes me feel like I'm watching a popcorn flick in the best way, like Jeff Johns. Mm-hmm. Like reading this comic, I was like, This is the action blockbuster of the summer. This is the biggest movie. This is how the MCU felt when I cared. This is my Avengers Infinity War. Like that it's those same feelings. Like this mm-hmm. is not some auteur thing. This like Anne says, this doesn't have symbols or themes, but boy does it have plot and character work. Like these pretend little people are acting how they're supposed to in interesting ways mm-hmm. and the plot is plotting, baby. I love it. It ain't that deep, but it doesn't need to be to be high quality. (laughs) Absolutely read *For Every Evil.
0: Hell yeah. Well, on that note, oh, Lexi, do you have anything else to say?
1: No, I agree with that thousand percent.
0: I think the only other question I would have, unless it's one of the questions we're about to go into, is what did you two think about Batman's inclusion in the story?
1: I do
2: not think that's one of the questions.
0: Alexis, I want to know what you think.
1: Of Batman? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think that his inclusion
0: as a hero kind of takes away from the concept of the villains-only girls gang? Or do you think that he needed to be there? What do you think about his inclusion?
1: I think that it was... I don't think that it took away from the villain girls club, if you're asking me. Um, I think that it was kind of fun to watch him come to terms with the fact that he was not the one who was doing the best if that makes sense mm-hmm. like when he had his little come apart with um um nightwing and lex luther was like chill the fuck out i've got it in control i was like yeah this he did have a little bitch moment which i thought was kind of funny um but it always makes sense to me i always have come to terms with the fact that batman is the only one of the justice league that would ever survive through anything um, mm-hmm. He will be the last man standing, regardless of whatever happens. Um, I so did, it did love, not sound wrong.
2: I did love him forever. Evil when they were like Wayne survive and Ultraman's like statistically not true,
1: not true. I <laughs> <left> me <laughs>
2: on the ground.
1: I was like oh it was, too it was soon. Like,
2: so true, so true. That was like, actually a recessive regress. gene. Stop. It was a recessive gene that skipped a generation and killed Jason Todd. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Batman was <laughs> the carrier of that gene. It's
1: like the short thumbs.
2: It's hemophilia. Sorry, Jason.
1: <laughs> hey,
2: no, I'm learning that, a lot about I mean, so hemophilia. <laughs> I'm learning about the Russian Revolution. And so that means I'm learning about Tsar Czar Alexandria, Tsarina Alexandria, and Tsar Nicholas. And uh, hemophilia really plays a big role in that whole thing. Yeah. So <laughs> up, if you want to learn about communism, you're going to learn about hemophilia.
0: My God. I was gonna say it, it's so true because three out of the five Robins have died. So Listen, Batman's a carrier. Batman. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, but it's so funny that Dick and Tim are the ones that haven't died because DC, specifically Dan Dio, has tried so many times to kill Dick Grayson. Oh so yeah. many times. This is the second event where they tried to kill Dick Grayson. Because the original Infinite Crisis, um, they want they wanted Dick dead so so bad. Superboy is the one who ends up biting the bullet in that one, but it was supposed to be Nightwing up to like the final until like the final hour that they were writing that book. Nightwing was supposed to die there, which I felt would have been thematically fitting because Batman's kind of why all that started to begin with. So it'd be really funny if he caused his own son's death. Ha ha. But you are the Joker. I. Am Joker. You
1: should just said that so casually. I was like, ha ha.
0: Ha ha. She said, ha -ha." (laughs) dash (laughs) ha. Ha ha.
1: Killed his own kid.
0: Oh, oh, Batman. I love you.
2: (laughs) All right. It's ad read time, ladies and gentlemen. And non-binary listeners, if you missed it last week, we now have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash thecomicscollective. We're about to roll out our ad space for this, where we have recorded what all the tiers are, what they do. You're going to be listening to this for the next two months, unless we're holding you hostage. You join at at least the $3 level at our Patreon. We have one $8 patron. And at the $8 level, you get a special shout out on the show and a bespoke comic book recommendation. Mm. And so I'm going to take this one mullet overlord. Thank you for joining at the $8 level. I think the most exciting comic of 2023 was the translation of Shubaik Lubaik by Dina Muhammad. It is a modern Egyptian story about a genie in the modern world. It has brilliant artwork, really fresh storytelling. It is much thicker than I thought it was. When I got it, it showed up and I went, oh, you're like 600 pages. I thought it was going to be like a hundred pager. And the price is very low for how big the book is, I absolutely think you should pick up Shubaik Lubaik and read your first Arabic comic, unless you're way cooler than me and you've been reading a lot of Arabic comics, but this is my first comic originally written in Arabic, and I'm loving it so far. Like, if you like the work of Juni Ba, the cartooning is very similar in Shubaik Lubaik. So there you go. There is your bespoke Recommendation for joining at the $8 level. Thank you again so much, Mullet Overlord. And now, here is our ad space.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Patreon of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read and discuss a collection of comic books or a graphic novel. I'm one of your hosts, Alexis.
2: I'm Dallas, And I'm Anne. And we are here to talk with you today about our all-new Patreon, starting in January 2024.
0: Yeah, it's going to be really, really cool. And listen, honestly, I'm going to level with all of you out there. I really need a reason to just hang in there with these two a little bit longer. So if you could please find in your hearts to give us just a little bit extra every month, I would really, really appreciate it so, so much. I can't speak for them, but I personally would really, really appreciate it.
2: Honestly, at this point, we either need a large sum of money or a large secret to keep us together. And... I'm not ready for that kind of responsibility with a secret. Also,
1: also, please, please, everyone, find it in the goodness of your heart to finally aid in these two teaching me how to play Dungeons & Dragons. They've been leading me on for a long-ass time. And, hey, we've got lots of fun perks that we're going to roll out. I mean, this year, our goal, we want to keep things nice and clean. We want to keep our episodes to a Predictable amount of time, so everyone knows what they're expecting from an episode of the Comics Collective. But we don't want to feel like we have to cut out all of our shenanigans, so we've found a place where we're going to stick it all. Please join us on our Patreon for all the shenanigans, all the fun. Please join yeah.
2: us. <laughs> where we stick it all—the <laughs> Patreon.
1: Oh, damn it! <laughs> oh, damn it, Dallas.
2: But first, see. You miss this. You miss this silly goofy time. The tiers for the Patreon are first and foremost at the $2 tier, early access to an ad-free version of the show. As soon as it's done editing, it's dropping on the Patreon. You don't have to wait till Wednesday mornings anymore. For five dollars a month, you get early access of that ad-free show, and you also get a weekly extended after the credits chit chat with Anne, Lexi, and Dallas. A closer to two-hour version of the show where we laugh, we joke, and we give you everything that of the classic comic books collective prior to Dallas' new tightened schedule regime. At the $8 a month tier, you will get a one-time specialized shout-out on the show and a live comic book recommendation in the show after you sign up. And for the exceptionally adventurous and affluent patrons of the comics collective, we have the option for a $50 a month tier where you will be added to a list of potential candidates for a Dungeons and Dragons one-shot adventure with the comics collective. After one month at the $50 tier, your name will be added to the list. Once the list has hit four individuals, we will run that two to three hour one-shot where I will DM Lexi and Anne will play major characters and you and your friends, or perhaps you and some strangers will get to hang out with us on a discord call for an afternoon. So if any of those sound interesting to you, please go to patreoncom slash the comics collective and sign up now. Welcome back folks. Welcome so much from, we didn't just sit here in silence during all of that. We, we cut that. We didn't just look at each other like people on one side of the glass and fish on the other. That was a really tender moment that we just shared off, Mm -hmm. off mic. We have Mm -hmm. a friendship off mic for sure. Um, (laughs) Anne and Lexi.
1: Yeah.
0: Let's roll into
2: listener questions.
0: Absolutely. Lexi, would you like to read our first question from Glenn Mechette? Of course.
1: All right. Forever evil cues. Hello, evils. Yeah, we are. Uh, Number one, Ultraman eats kryptonite. What do you think kryptonite tastes like? Um, I think that it tastes like cocaine. Thank you. Um, (laughs) It
2: tastes tastes like rock candy. It's (gasps) the sugar rock candy. It's sour apple. Sour apple, you're correct. All right. Anne is the most correct. That that was three tiers of correct. Alexis at the bottom, me in the middle, Anne at the top. We went in perfect order.
1: Like crack cocaine. Okay. Sour apple crack cocaine.
0: I was going to say, for what it's worth, cocaine could taste like sour apple. I don't know. Yeah,
1: did we watch Um, Breaking Bad? They have blue meth. They could have green apple cocaine. Who knows?
0: That sounds too powerful. We wouldn't know. That
1: does sound (laughs) terrible.
2: I'll go down to the financial district and ask.
1: They they will know. (laughs) They will know. They probably would know. They do know. Anyway, number two. Yeah, no. no. <laughs> they not, do not
2: sarcasm. Not I sarcasm.
1: I started as the joke and then realized I was speaking the truth. Uh, number two. <laughs> In Forever Evil, a kid version of Ted Cord shows up. Thoughts on this random thing that never really comes to anything? Question um, mark? I do not
0: care about that blue fellow.
1: I don't either. I have no thoughts about that.
0: Um, My thoughts on it are going to be... The the thoughts of someone in retrospect looking back at the New 52 as the failed experiment that it was. Um, it's really interesting to see how hard they tried to to really go into like we are gonna use this as our jumping point for a lot of DC characters. It's the first time Ted Cord had showed up since he was murdered back before the Infinite Crisis. And it was it was definitely one of those things where we got a few introductions of new characters in this that were old characters in one of the justice League tie-ins we get plastic man's origin um in one of the tie-ins we get the introduction of the metal men so and it's funny that all these keep happening through John's because that justice League book he was writing was consistently that through line the beating heart of the new 52 everything was supposed to course through that that was guiding the main narrative that was guiding the focus and he was doing his absolute best to like stay true to that initial theme where it's like we are going to introduce people to the DC universe one beat at a time and he kept throwing out things when he could he's like i'm sprinkling a little plastic man there a little metal man there and whatever happens happens a little doom patrol down there and it's so funny to look back that so little of it mattered like this ted cord shows up but then like we don't see him again for three more years until dc rebirth number 1 when ted cord is there again but he's definitely not this ted cord he's just ted cord tm generic and he's back whatever happened here didn't pan out And that is the disappointing thing about Jeff Johns' comics in the 2010s is there were so many seeds that he planted because he wanted to be really ambitious. He wanted to to set the stage for a lot of things for people to be excited about because that's the one thing that's another thing he does really well is he makes you want to keep reading. He sets up all these threads that are like going to really matter, promise TM in the future. That just because of the position he was in at DC and how they kept giving him more and more responsibilities and pulling him off books he was actually really like he was working on. Um, just never came to pass. So it's just, to me, the tag chord here is just another one of those promises that was made, but DC Editorial decided not to follow through on because they would rather their golden goose go lay his eggs somewhere else. So yeah, that's the long story of what something, like moments like that means to me throughout all of the New 52. What
1: that
2: was smart. That yeah. was much smarter than me and Alexis going, we don't care! <laughs> That's why we need you.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: lots of checks that they could not cash.
1: Yeah, somebody's got to have a brain in this podcast, and it's not me. Even though I said I was the brain of the pinky and the brain combo. Not true. (laughs) Um, Okay, and then the third question from Glenn is, in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, you know the movie with Shane West. Literary protagonists are tasked with saving the world. With Forever Evil in mind, what literally, literally, literary antagonists slash villains could save the world? Many thanks. Good. I have a funny answer right off the top. Do it. Jurian the eyeball ring from the first uh, (laughs) Court of Thorns and Roses, specifically in his eyeball ring form. Thank you.
2: You're exactly right. Uh, And I want that ring to be worn by Moriarty from the Sherlock Holmes books. (gasps) Yes just as smart as Sherlock Holmes, but for evil.
1: For evil. <laughs>
2: he might be the first, this villain is just you, but evil, that
0: ever happened.
1: It's like looking in a mirror. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was, I was going to say literally any character from a court of thorns and roses, because yeah. they can only win and they can't die. That's true, except the oh, villains tins. can die. The villains can die, but the that's, that's, that's the good thing. We want the good guys to win.
1: So... <gasps> A- Anthe is just the Lex Luthor of their world.
0: Oh, well, was Glenn's question specifically about villains? Literary yeah, villains? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literary oh, okay. villains. okay. Never mind. Never mind. Um, sh- who would I want my literary villain for every evil team? Uh, just get Odium there. Just I'm oh, just going to pick a god. Oh, that was I, I think Teravangian.
2: We should put Teravangian
0: in. Oh. What if he, he What if is. he's having one of his quote-unquote dumb days? I didn't say that. The book said that. The best of us. Who among us doesn't have dumb
2: days? I'm having one right now.
1: 90% of my days are dumb days. Thank you. And then I have genius days.
2: Your genius days. When you start to see the math floating out in front of your head. Those are the easy bake oven days. They
1: are. I miss my easy bake oven.
2: What's too bad is you used all your genius days when you were nine years old. You used up all four of them. All in a row. While you were going to divorce court with your Barbies. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you haven't had any sense.
1: Mm-hmm. It's
2: true. I actually used mine on the day that I brought the that was easy button to school so I could hit it when I was done oh. with a test. <laughs>
0: So no! I no you did so, not
2: so much trouble for that yeah I brought a that was easy button oh my and god on a test day and I finished that test in like six minutes because if there's one thing Dallas is it might not be clever but it is good at tests yeah I finished that test I hit the that was easy my teacher came over spitting mad as other kids started to like weep
0: <laughs> and she
2: I could tell in her eyes she wanted to grade me vindictive and I still got 100% but she was like that was very mean and I was like, <laughs> "Shit hit though." <laughs> I don't know well, what Dallas to tell is still you.
1: Villain origin story. I don't know right what there? to
2: tell you. Uh, no, I have a specific uh, villain origin story, but I will tell that off mic. That's from third yeah. grade. That's no, from fifth grade, actually.
0: Huh. <sighs> also, Cthulhu. Dallas, would you like to read the next question from Mullet Overlord?
2: mullah overlord look at you getting on here twice today dear comics collective i haven't read For evil, forever evil since high school so i'm fascinated to see how it holds up or if i just loved it due to the new 52 bell curve <laughs> both are possible mm-hmm. what tie-ins do you think are worth a revisit and what are y'all's thoughts on lex's redemption arc do you think Williamson is bringing him back in that direction in the current books also the hellboy episode was a lot of fun really enjoys dallas unabashed excitement over everyone's favorite blue collar ghost hunter listen Hellboy rules. Alexis gets it and we'll get That's it true. and we'll get it. We will wear her down.
0: <laughs> Flattery will get you everywhere. mullet overlord. Okay. I'm also very glad you asked this question because it made me feel like my quest of madness was justified. I read like 60 comics this week and by read, I mean, I skimmed at least half of them. Um, I took notes here. For anyone who's interested in the Forever Evil one-shot, in the Forever Evil tie-ins, here's what you need to know. There's a series of villain one-shots that came out in September. There were a few that were worth it. There was um, some great Gillian March work on um, Two-Face, which was really fun. The Black Manta and Ocean Master tie-ins were great if you're an Aquaman fan, but for my money, go straight for Ocean Master. Black Manta's very skippable. It's just Aquaman's gone, what do I do? And then Ultraman exists, so he's like, well shit, I guess that's what I do now. Ocean Masters is really fun though, and Gail Simone Ventriloquist gave us one of the few that issues they felt was like genuinely creepy and eerie. It was it was a lot of fun. So there's a few of those you can check out that tie in directly to Forever Evil. They're pretty fun. If you're interested in the Justice League tie-ins, I think that's where the, the most where the meat of the tie-in is, where you'll get the most into the main event, because the first half of that Focuses on crime syndicate origins. You get to see the origins of Owlman, Ultraman, um, Flash. I mean, Johnny Quick and Atomica, and you get glimpses of um, Deathstorm and Power Ring as well. But for my money, the the real meat of it is later, where you get the cyborg coming back and teaming up with the Metal Men. Because I am a Metal Men simp. I love the Metal Men so much, and their introdu- introduction, introduction, the New Fifty Two, is very fun and heartwarming. It's a great place to meet them for the first time. So give that a look. Um, JLA was the one that hurt me the most because I was so vibing with it. I was vibing with it for so long because it focuses on Stargirl and Martian Manhunter. And the premise of it is that Stargirl and Martian Manhunter escape the Firestorm prison. And they have to flee across the country to get back and free the other heroes from the prison. And it goes on this great emotional arc with Stargirl where she's, like, dealing with all of her past trauma, she's struggling with being a hero, trying to find her own voice, and it's so great and wonderful until the final issue hits you with the biggest and worst literary trope of all time, the it was all a dream. It hits you with the it was all a dream, you never left the prison, and I wanted to scream. I wanted to scream at the top of my lungs because what the fuck is that? What the hell? What the actual shit? I swear to God. It's the... The idea of trying to get a meaningful story out when your arms are tied. It's like, I want her to go on this journey, but you can't because she has to be in the prison because they can't let anyone out of the prison. So you want to scream by the time it's all done. It felt like it showed me everything I wanted to see and then it stabbed me in the back. Um, And they also throw in the line where it's like, well, you know, we never went anywhere, but all that emotional journey you went on, that actually happened. No, fuck you. Fuck you, John. We're still in the prison. Nothing changed. I'm sad. Um... Rogues Rebellion is another tie-ins miniseries that a lot of people will point to and say, this is where, you know, this is where it shines. This is the best of the spinoffs. And it's solid. It's about the rogues trying to retake Central City. If you like Flash, if you like the rogues, it'll be a great journey. Um, The rogues get teleported to Gotham for a second. And it's kind of really funny to see these like blue-collared super criminals in a place where there are some legitimate freaks. And they're like, oh my God, this is the worst experience of my life. Cause you got like, um, scarecrow breathing down your neck and Mr. Freeze threatening to actually kill you. And they're like, listen, we just want to rob a bank. It's fun. Argus is okay. Sterling Gates tries to make you love Steve Trevor, but ends up making you love Killer Frost instead. That's a plus in my book. It's fine. It's whatever. Um, Arkham War is Gotham Hunger Games and it sounds a lot better than it actually is. It's a lot of noise and violence. If you like that, check it out. It's otherwise you're not going to find much there. It was an excuse to get Bane into his Dark Knight Rises costume in comics for the first time. And that's about it. Um, Suicide Squad. It was literally just them saving Waller and getting Power Girl into some ridiculous positions just to show off her ass and tits at the same time. It's very forgettable um shockingly and also finally there was the trinity of sin tie-ins which basically were just epilogues to trinity war and since i don't really care for trinity war you don't need to read those at all so that is that is the tie-in rundown if any of those sound interesting for you go for it but honestly none of these stacked up nearly as well to me as the main event itself so (laughs) i went through all of that none (laughs) i went through all of that madness so much um, Not a I, single I, one I, in the bunch I legitimately needed to know It was for my own curiosity I take full responsibility for that But listen If you're curious about any of those There is probably something you'll find interesting I think the Justice League ones are probably the strongest Word Fucking word <sighs> uh, I mean, this is, it, It's gonna be one of those years Where I put all my effort into the January shows And then from February on My brain just goes It's nothing <laughs> No thoughts in my head. I'm just coasting every
1: year. (laughs) That was how good my, how good I was last week. I was trying really hard.
0: You did great. You're still
2: doing great. I like like it. Uh, the next question from Joe is also about tie-ins. So for the sake of expediency, let's skip down to Zach's question.
0: Yes. Okay, all right, collective, question mark? No, we're not. Well, at least I'm not. Um, no, she read 60 I, issues. I read 60 issues, the worst art I've ever seen. This is actually a case where I've actually read the book in question. I love it when we do that. I haven't read any other New 52 events, but I'm willing to bet this Good. This young... This This is one of the better ones. This yawn is one of the better ones. Okay. Even as a premise, it's rather solid. The only possible fault of it was they didn't use the Suicide Squad (laughs) to tie in or something. Well, I got news for you. They did. It's not worth it. Um, I mean, if you're pitting villain against villain, why not have one of the quintessential villain teams out there? It's a great question. Um, Shame they didn't do more with it. Anyway, on to my question, if you had the chance to make a Marvel equivalent of Forever Evil, maybe a Squadron Supreme wants to rule 616 or something, which villains would you want to focus on here? Can I wait to listen to the episode when it comes out? Zach.
2: Um, Dr. Octopus, absolutely.
0: Dr. Octopus would be fun. Dr. Doom has to be there, right? Oh, yeah. Um, I also think the superior it's gonna be foes, all doctors.
2: <laughs> the, yeah, just a league of PhDs, as far as yeah I can see. Um, I think the superior foes of Spider-Man would be really great. That's a book I want to read on the show. Superior foes of oh, Spider-Man. Yeah. It's so fun, <laughs> Alexa. I think we all it. love that. They're like goofy blue collar. Like if you like Captain Cold in this, Lex, it's a whole team of that during the time the Superior Spider-Man is. And so they're like, haha, we can be silly bad guys. Spider-Man went, holy shit, Spider-Man kills people now? Oh my gosh! Ah! And it's it's like played that's for comedy. That's how I
1: felt when uh, Doc Ock shot somebody. I was like,
2: <gasps> yes! No, man. no, that's exactly what they did. Yes! Um, <laughs> you don't know this character, but the leader of the mafia in Spider-Man comics, which is called the Magia, which I've always loved, he ends up just being like a frozen Walt Disney style old man head on top of a robot body and the superior foes take that head off and put it on an RC car as he's like, stop it! Stop it right now! As they like drive him around. It's a good book.
1: You know who else should be on a um, evil team? That'd be great. Necro. Who? Yeah.
2: Necro would be good. She's crazy.
1: <laughs> she is crazy. Um, I, wish you could I feel bad. I feel like good.
2: most of them are Spider-Man villains like that. This really showed that DC has a really strong mm-hmm. rogues gallery. Like there's so many good villains in DC. It's
0: like Captain America's villains. Most of them are Nazis. I don't want them to do anything.
2: I literally, I said that as I went through the same journey, I was like, okay, let's go through heroes. Captain America. Well, none of them. Okay. Iron Man. Uh, none of them.
0: I don't know. Uh, maybe the,
2: Ironmonger would be fun.
0: The Mandarin could be fun. I've wanted him to be in a good story for he—he's a character who's like his rings sound incredible, but I've never read a story with him where it's like I've been impressed. It's yeah. like that's a lot of racial stereotyping for nothing. There's no, there's nothing about you here. Perfect for Jeff Johns. Yeah. Uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> anyway.
2: <sighs> Wait, someone else, Ed. Ed did my same joke for his question. Can I read Ed's question?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, fine. Forever evil!
2: mermaid oh, man voice. God. Ed? Ed? I also want you to know, I totally understood the acronym last week. I knew you spelled out moss chops. I just didn't want to give Anne psychic damage.
1: <laughs> God
2: damn it. Uh, Even I knew that. Come on. Yeah, we were all here trying to protect sweet, mm-hmm. tender Anne. I acronyms didn't are notice. hard for her.
0: I'm so okay. mad. <laughs> they didn't teach for acronyms in Ohio. Okay. I was doing. And listen, my focus was on art history that week. I just <laughs> she was and ready. She had, she had German Brainpower Expressionism.
2: Spent. She couldn't do acronyms. Hey, collective. Yeah. Here are my questions for forever Evie. Nice, nice. Uh, when I read this, when I read this sophomore year, I felt like it took too fucking long due to the decompression and eight monthly issues. Made this feel like the bane. Pun intended. Of my sophomore year how about you we already said we forgot that shit. it ruled for us mm-hmm. we have smooth brains the comic soaked right in we actually our brain was scored with bad takes and so the the comic could really seep in there um you have too many ridges and bumps it bounced right off mm-hmm. question number two Anne. you read all the big tie-ins and choose i choose to laugh at your misery What is your favorite I've come to the point and laugh at you moment with your friends? (sighs) I think you all do that with me because I'm a Mormon. Uh, I I think think that's really fun for all of you, to point and laugh.
1: That is fun. Idiot.
2: (laughs) (laughs) When I'm drinking Sprite on New Year's Eve, everybody likes to point and laugh.
1: You also... Honorable mention for the video that Addison posted of you on New Year's because I watched that video and said, wow, he's sober. What is I, this? Yeah,
2: my dance moves. Yeah, what sucks is like, there's not a single that,
1: drop of alcohol that's driving this.
2: What sucks about that video was, A, I'm a bad dancer. I know that. But B, she turned the volume down and then played the music over the top offset. So it seems even it made worse. made it even better. It made it even worse. I'm not, I'm not remotely dancing to the music. But she I picked the same song, so it's believable. I got beef with that video.
1: <laughs> I love that video. I wish I I'm had grateful.
2: it. I'm grateful that Anne is not friends with Addison on Instagram, so she didn't
0: get to see my New Year's Eve dance moves. It was a gem. <laughs> well, I need to rectify that. I think. Listen, I feel bad every time I laugh at Junie's lack of eyebrows. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel so bad. Does look wrong. I was actually when you mentioned crypto earlier i'm like i almost said Junie can't because crypto has eyebrows. Crypto <laughs> does eyebrows Junie is
2: my favorite dog to make fun of number one favorite dog to make fun of
1: she's so cute did i show you her christmas picture that i'm gonna send as a christmas card next
2: year uh, Please. unfortunately no uh, while you pull that up, I love to call Doug from the YouTube channel for every kind of geek for every kind of treat.
1: Oh, that is such a good name. I I, I am gonna treat. send him a wedding invite that's addressed as that
2: because I don't remember treat. his last name. I can text you.
1: <laughs> I don't want to remember his last name. I know what it is. Dear it's Doug Smith. For
2: every, dear Doug for every kind of treat. Doug treat.
1: Mm-hmm, Doug treat.
2: Um, what would your supervillain slash persona be? Bad. Lex Luthor. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Lexi Luthor. I'm one of the queer coded mm. ones for sure. <laughs> the ones that they're like from the 1960s that they're like, mm. and what makes him
0: evil is he wears peacock feathers. <laughs> you really are the pink flamingo. <laughs> oh. True. True. I don't know. Just. Just.
2: And go with you're, the pun, villain. And... and you're absolutely one of the, like, the 1990s villains where they have the glasses on and they're, like, all oh, frizzy. And then something terrible happens halfway through the movie and they come back yossified but evil. That's
1: you. <laughs> She's the green <cream> goblin. <laughs> I'm the... Like, I'm you're
2: the Michelle Pfeiffer o- Catwoman, absolutely. <gasps>
0: yes! I was going to, Uma Thurman, Poison Ivy.
2: Exactly, it's it's yes. a fertile trope. Perfect. They did it. It's uh, Cheetah in Wonder Woman 84. Oh my god. You got to come back Yossified. I still haven't seen that
1: movie. You don't need to. I revolted, I know, that's why I didn't.
2: It's not very I good. Said, uh, <laughs> tell Carson I didn't like him in that role as Pedro Pascal. Carson looks exactly like Pedro Pascal, by the way. I don't know if anyone tells him that other than me.
1: Oh no, but it's real. It's real. He game. looks
2: exactly like Pedro Pascal. If Pedro Pascal was white, that's Alexis's fiance.
1: Mhm. <sighs> that's the first time anyone's <sighs> referred to him as that out loud. Ooh. Um, what tie-ins
2: did you read when the series was coming out? The when Justice it was League coming ones.
0: out? Yeah, I only followed Justice League when it was coming out, and some of the villain one-shots.
2: Yeah, the villain one-shots that looked interesting. None of them stuck. Not I I don't remember a single one of those but I did pick up a lot of them because the covers were cool.
0: I still stand by the ocean master one is so good, but it starts an arc for him that never gets resolved. And then Dan, I think it was Dan Jurgens just kind of erases during the Mara. many like five years later. It was so funny. They set him up to be a family man with a change of heart. And then he's just like, nah, fuck that. Fuck that kid. Fuck his mom. I'm done. <laughs> I'm going back to the ocean. Honestly, that's better. That is better. I like that way more.
2: Dan Jurgens, you're famous. Uh, thank you for drawing Superman the best, and thank you for doing that to Ocean Master. That it was either so Dan, funny.
0: it was Dan Jurgens or Dan Abnett. It was one of the Dan's.
2: Listen, Dan Abnett, thank you for the Guardians of the Galaxy. I haven't read yet, but I've heard they're good. <laughs> I keep waiting for Anne to make us read that run on the show, so I'll finally read it. Um, we have a question. Lot of books to read. Question we got a lot of podcasts to make for the rest of our life. Uh, Question five. Speaking of evil, where's Russ's Omega Red, Anne? Sincerely, Evil Ed. P.S. Yes. I know putting evil in front of my name is redundant. Thank you. Uh,
0: It's between me and Russ. Thank you very much. Um, Yeah. That's all I got.
2: (laughs) Outstanding. That has been another episode of the comics collective did it
1: Twice- yeah. and right
2: at an hour and a half
1: Listen, so
2: good at this Look at us. we're doing it we're doing it lex roll us out
1: you got it all right everyone if you like our show and want to hear more from us throughout the week please go follow our x account at cmx collective or our tiktok account at the comics collective or you can find each of us at our personal accounts at dallas underscore comics dallas what's your tiktok account
2: at Dallas underscore Meeks. Woo-hoo. It's doing well. I'm having yeah. fun.
1: It is fun. Go look at it. It's entertaining. Um, and then also you can find Anne at Ann Comics on X and myself at Lou
0: underscore comics.
2: If you enjoyed the show and want to show your support, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and give us a five-star review and we will read it off on the show.
0: And finally, if you have any of those questions or comments for us, please send those to thecomicscollective at gmail.com, and we will read them at the end of the show.
2: And if you are a $5 or higher Patreon, make sure to stay after the credit noise. We have 20 minutes of chit-chat this time that we hope you enjoy.
0: Bye, everyone.
2: We'll see you next week for our episode on...
0: The Dark Knight Returns. Eternus yeah. um, <sighs> Malum, everyone, farewell. Bye. Toodaloo.